to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Welcome to our podcast, Research Culture Uncovered. It's season four, focusing on researcher careers, and this is episode number six. I'm your host, Ruth Winden, and I'm the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds. My guest today is Dr. Simon McNair, a behavioral psychologist who specializes in consumer behavior. After his Leverhulme Trust Fellowship at the University of Leeds ended in 2019, Simon took his academic career in a different direction, so he could make an even bigger impact with his work. He realized that he would get the greatest job satisfaction by combining his research expertise and his practical experience with organizations like the Citizens Advice Bureau to support consumers making financial decisions. Join Simon and me for an open and frank conversation about moving from research into consulting, some unexpected challenges he faced early on, and why it is important to ask yourself from time to time, is this the right path I'm on? Hello, Simon. I'm so much looking forward to catching up with you and hear about your journey since you left Leeds. Simon and I, we worked together four years ago, and I was so interested in his research because you did work with consumer rights and you know people making financial decisions. I also saw you have just been working on spending on borrowing behavior at Christmas, you know, all these exciting things or you know, digital payment technologies, Apple Pay, how does it influence our spending behavior? So really hands-on, um, really practical things. But your background is in the psychology side, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, my PhD is in cognitive psychology. Um, and from there, yeah, I was really interested in just kind of being a, a kind of consumer psychologist because I felt like that was something we do every day. We all make consumer decisions. So as a psychologist, that was some of the most interesting decision-making to try and understand was in that domain. Yeah. I'll tell a little story. You know, I'm German. I came to the UK, had my first proper job. Christmas came and went. And in mid-January, I was talking to my colleagues saying, hmm, you know, when is when is our Christmas payment coming? And they looked at me, Christmas payment? What are you talking about? I said, well, you know, in Germany, we always get a 13th salary because obviously Christmas, December is so expensive. So you then can wow. pay for everything in January. And you should have seen my face when they said to me, this doesn't exist in the UK. And I really learned my lesson from that. Never make any assumptions. <laughs> that, that sounds like the kind of thing that would help a lot of people. But yeah, it's not, a, not a thing we get in the UK at all. <laughs> oh, oh, so I thought I'll, I'll share that story because it's still with me. And when I saw, you know, your, your recent research interest, also the consulting firm you work now. But before we go there, when I met you four years ago, you were, let's put it, yeah, let's, let's be honest, you were a an academic high flyer. I mean, you got your Leverhulme Early Career Research Fellowship. You had an Early Career Researcher Impact Award. You got lots of funding, high education innovation funding. I mean, you were really, really at the top of it, weren't you? And so very obvious question to ask is, what made you change your mind and leave an academic 
career behind? It's such a good question. Yeah, you're right. And thank you for that. I appreciate you kind of rolling through some of those accolades. Um, I, you know, I, I realized that I was at a juncture in my life where I, you know, was was coming to the end of, of a really good postdoc that I had really enjoyed working with with debt advisors in and around Leeds. Um, and I had I knew that I had to make this decision. You know, I was at the end of this postdoc, and the next step was obviously to to take on a lectureship. Um, and I, you know, I asked myself some really deep questions at that point. You know. Does, does being an academic and all of that entails, so lots of teaching, um, lots of marking coursework, lots of marking exams, lots of publishing peer-reviewed journal articles, you know, do I get the gratification that I need out of, out of those to, to, to really want to commit myself to doing this as a full career? Um, and I had reservations, you know, I, I, the, the answer to those questions for me were, were just not all yes. You know, um, I quite frankly had struggled quite a lot over my academic career to, to publish journal articles. It's not that I, you know, didn't achieve them. I have achieved them and I still am achieving that, but I didn't get a lot of gratification out of the process of my It just felt like the amount of effort and time and sweat and tears that I would put into publishing, trying, you know, trying to publish a journal article, for instance, just never was met with the same level of satisfaction whenever that would actually, you know, be published. So that email that you would get saying, you know, we're going to publish your journal article. I never, ever felt anything other than relief whenever I got those emails. It wasn't, you know, it was pride, but there was never happiness. It was always like, I don't have to continue with that process. Like on to the next one. So, you know, that's, those are pretty hard obstacles to overcome, I think. So that had, that had reservations right away for me in terms of, okay, well, do I want to commit myself fully to that as a career? The other thing that changed my mind was really that last postdoc that I did where I was out in the field, you know, I was out with dad advisors. I was working really closely with them and I could see how quickly, you know, they were um, picking up from the research that we were doing, things that the ways that they could change, how they're delivering their services, how they can improve things for their clients and for their customers. And that just, that, you know, that made my heart sing, you know, being that kind of researcher where you're working closely with, you know, in a very applied setting. Uh, where there isn't all of the kind of the hamstrings that there might be of just being a researcher in a university, so to speak. Um, you know, seeing that quick turnaround, seeing those quick impacts, seeing those ways that you can help improve people's uh, kind of services or products, that really sung to me as well. Um, so that was the other thing that kind of pulled me away from them, the academic side of things, because obviously as an academic, publishing the peer-reviewed part, paper, papers is, is like the key thing. You got to do that first and then everything else comes after it. I kind of wanted it to be the other way around. I wanted me, you know, I wanted to sort of see the impact and help, you know, sort of deliver things to kind of customers and, and to clients and to their customers and clients um, a little bit more kind of quickly. Um, so that kind of then led me to the point where, okay, um, you know, I have to be courageous now and I have to, to sort of be brave and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take myself out of this track. It might be a sideways step. It might be a step backwards for the first while. Um, all I'd known up until that point was being an academic. So I was quite inexperienced in a lot of respects. Um, but it was at that point that I said, okay, let's start looking for where, what else could I do? Where else could I go and be the researcher that I am, but just not in university. But the great thing was, I remember you were working with Citizens Advice Bureau, weren't you? That's right. And you got so much practical experience. I'm sure that will have helped you also then explain what you could do for a consulting firm, a psychology firm after all. Because I remember you were really clear, I'm leaving, and you knew exactly where you wanted to go. And I was so impressed with that because you did something that I always recommend and not many people follow is build that target list. Look at the employer where you want to be and then see how you can network your way in. And you did exactly that. And you were really risky because you didn't have a list of 20. 
you had quite mm-hmm. a short list, didn't you? If I remember correctly, I think there was one top choice, wasn't there, for you? Yeah, there was, there was two or three on the list, but one top choice. You're absolutely right. Um, I think you made a good point there, though, about that, that project where I was working as a postdoc with Citizen Advice. I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, I was, that was helping me to sort of gain valuable consultancy experience, which would then help me no end in, in the line of work that I'm in now, where I work for a consultancy, for instance. So um, I hadn't realized it, but that was the initial, I guess that was the initiation of, of me realizing that that's exactly the kind of um, kind of role that I wanted to fulfill, I suppose. On the on the sort of the target list of, of okay, where do I go if I'm not going to be an academic? Where do I go and work for? You know, I leaned very heavily on what my experience up to that point was, which was you know, psychologist who was understanding people's financial decision making. You know, you listed some of the topics that I was interested in there. So you know, those everyday kind of consumer decisions, everyday financial decisions. So you know, that led me quite naturally to kind of ask, okay, well, what kinds of organisations in the UK might value that kind of experience, but which you know will still allow me to be a researcher which I'm not going to be shackled by having to publish peer-reviewed papers and, and things like that. Um, I think I was quite fortunate in the sense that, you know, the, the one that was at the top of my list, I already had known about because it was directly relevant to my expertise as, as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I, this is the Behavioural Insights team um, here in London, um, a public policy institute, very research, quite academic, um, very research-oriented, very research-oriented, quite academic as well. Um, but which had a new team that had just been set up recently at that point, which was all to do with financial decision-making. So that was almost like the stars had kind of aligned, you know, that to me just seemed like that's the perfect place for me to go and work. And so I very much, you know, you will notice that I've like absolutely set my sights on those. It was almost like that, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to find out how I can get there one way or the other. And, and I'm going to go. Um, I had some backups, but not very many, you know, I did put a lot of my eggs in that one big kind of behavioral insights mm. basket. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, again, I think a bit of fortune roles opened up at a time whenever I was looking for them. Not exactly the roles I was looking for, admittedly, but nonetheless, I kind of said to myself, well, if I can even just get there, then we'll figure the rest out. Um, and, and, and I got there, fortunately enough. Yeah, it was such a success story. But it's also, it was very clear to me when I worked with you, you're very good at positioning yourself, writing about your experience. I still remember that LinkedIn profile that you wrote. You know, I have a good memory for these things. And, you know, the CV and the cover letter, you know, you were very strong at translating your experience into something that really adds value. And I mean, I was overjoyed, you know, one application... (laughs) One interview, one job offer. That's the kind of stuff I like working with, you know. And then you you joined them. And tell me more about how different was it? You said it was also very research intensive, almost like academia. Was that a good sort of transition into the world of consulting? So yes and no, I would say. So I, I joined the Behavioral Insights team after having left Leeds, after having moved out of academia in, in 2019. And I worked there um at the IT up until um 2022 so just about kind of about 18 months ago thereabouts I left there so I was there for about three years um and it was it was really challenging I think for me in a lot of respects I would say I found my first year there really really difficult um and I think the reason I found it difficult was because as I alluded to like my only experience up to that point had been working as an academic and being an academic is quite a lonely profession. And I think a lot of academics would say that, you know, you are, you're kind of by yourself, you're doing your own thing. I'm sure you collaborate with other authors to do projects, but on a day-to-day basis, you spend a lot of time by yourself and you are, you're kind of your own manager, you know, you do have responsibilities, you know, to seniors, but you don't have managers breathing down your neck every day. You don't have responsibilities to the people who are in the next office to you or, you know, two, or, two doors down, things like that. 
so the complete change for me was like going into an environment where now I'm a member of a team and we are all having to work together really, really closely. Um, everyone's depending on me. I'm depending on everyone else. I have a manager who is there and who is, you know, expecting things of me daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera. So that was a huge change for me. I mean, it sounds kind of odd to say that, right? That you, you, you know, I was sort of 31 at that point, I guess, thereabouts, 32. So, you know, to go into an environment where you'd never experienced office life um, was, was a big change for me. And it took me a long time to get with the flow of that, to be honest. And I think there was definitely years in my, in my first year there, I, I struggled with that. It took me a little bit longer probably than most people to just get with the rhythm and get with the flow of being in an office and being in that environment. Um, fortunately, I think the research side of things did help me a little bit because, you know, I could obviously sing sort of that song quite well. The level of academic rigor at an organization like BIT is, is like, you know, almost, I would say, the same as, as a fully-fledged university. So, you know, I was quite comfortable with that side of things and producing the kind of work that I think they, they, they wanted and that they, that they needed. But, you know, yeah, hands on heart, I would say it was, it took me a long time to get up to speed with it. Mm-hmm. It's um, just a say. different way of working, isn't it? And yeah. Yeah. you are not on your own, you know, your team contribution yeah. and yeah. being being aware of different styles and different agendas and, you know, mm-hmm. sure politics also come into it, you know, all the good stuff at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you got through it. You got through it and did rather yeah. well. Because before we came on air, I was um, teasing you a little bit because, my word, how many how many promotions can you get? <laughs> so after That's that first, <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, especially in academia where these things take a long time to get a promotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did twice in each time. I think it took you nine, mo- nine months or something. I, I read this from your LinkedIn profile. But so you, you stayed, you settled in, you did your work. And then you changed again. So in four years, two employers, What what's the difference between now and yeah. when you came out of academia? Yeah, it was it was another sort of, I think, calculated kind of change where I, where I sort of evaluated where I was. I tend to every year, at the end of the year, kind of go, you know, I ask myself naturally, where am I in my career? Where am I in my profession? Where am I in my organization? You know, uh, you know and if, if I have reservations and I ask myself sort of deeply, why is that? What can I do to change that? So I've been... So three years at, at Behavioral Insights team, um, I hadn't been promoted in my time there for whatever reason. And so, you know, I felt like I had, had delivered quite a lot of good work there. I felt like I had shown good value to them. But ultimately, um, it looked as if, you know, if I wanted to, to move upwards, um, I was going to have to look around elsewhere. I also had slight reservations about um, the ability to have kind of impact. So the impact was kind of this running theme for me, you know, working closely with a client or a customer and seeing how they're going to change things off the back of what we're doing. Um, the behavioral insights team works an awful lot with government and affecting a change of government is incredibly difficult to do. Um, and more often than not, you would spend a lot of time there doing something that which ultimately wouldn't then get translated into any kind of impact. So I felt that was quite demotivating a little bit for me. So I said, okay, okay, um, I've got now some consultancy experience under my, under my belt. I know what it's like to lead these projects. I know what it's like to manage these kinds of stakeholders. Um, but I want it to be more short-term projects, not these long 12, 18-month projects, which may or may not lead to impact. I would, I want, I feel like I'm going to get more gratification out of my uh, profession if I'm doing shorter three to six-month projects where we know there's going to be some kind of demonstrable change and some, some kind of demonstrable impact at the end of it. And so that led me into business consulting, right? Because in that, in that situation, um, your customers come to you, right? Because they, they've got a problem and they want you to, to solve it for them. So you know at the start of the project, you're going to be solving a, a, 
problem um, and you know that you're going to be delivering recommendations or otherwise that you know are going to be implemented and, and things are going to change as a result of it so that that was really appealing to me at that point uh, and so i joined car reconsulting in in january 2022 been there for just over a year now um and it is honestly it's fulfilled everything that i was was hoping for so far i joined as a senior which was a step up in promotion from where i had been in my previous organization and then six or seven months later i got promoted again to manager level um so i think that's a good sign yeah i think things have been going Absolutely. pretty strongly well and i'm enjoying it yeah, fantastic. And I mean, as I'm listening to you, obviously we, we live in very difficult financial circumstances and you know, money is on everyone's mind. I mean, do you get the chance also to work on these topical issues, cost of living standards and, and you know, all these things or, you know, mortgage mortgages have just gone up again. You know, a lot of people yeah. are struggling. Yeah. You know, there's a lot about debt management, you know, yeah. we're in such a dire strait in, in this country and in many other countries as well. You know, is, is this yeah. something that you get to work on as well? Or what kind of projects without obviously breaking confidentiality mm -hmm. with your clients? But is there something yeah. you can say about the kind of problems that you are working on? Yeah, absolutely. So thankfully, I do still get to, I spend most of my time, I would say most of the projects that I'm leading at the minute are still in the realm of, of kind of financial decision making and particularly how we can help banks to sort of better support their vulnerable customers and better support their customers who might be in debt, for instance. So one of the key projects I'm leading at the minute is with uh, you know, a major bank, um, and it's to do with the kinds of conversations the bank can have with people whenever they might be struggling to, to sort of meet their bills. So it's very much at the level of how do we support those customers? How do we help find a solution for them that mm -hmm. um, is, is kind of as easy as it can be for them? Um, and how do we how do we manage those kinds of conversations and those interactions in a way that's sensitive because it's a very fraught level of conversation. So yeah, I would say I'm still drawing on that experience of being like an academic kind of financial psychologist from like 10 years ago. A lot of the stuff I did then is still being put into practice here as well, but it's now being kind of um, manifest in a much more kind of tangible way. So rather than thinking about it at sort of the theoretical level, it's like, okay, well, how can we help improve the conversation that you know call handlers are having with people who might be in debt for instance how do we make sure those conversations are carried out sensitively how do we make sure those conversations are delivered in a way that really helps the customer to sort of make the next decision for themselves um, and achieves the best outcome for them um, so yeah i mean there's a definitely still a narrative thread i can draw from from all the things i was doing and all the things i did at behavioral insights team to, to what i'm doing now um, yeah that must be really rewarding. I mean, I, I watched a program the other day where the Samaritans were working with banking employees because they're finding that people have to deal now with a lot more stressful conversations, mm. you know, that are really difficult to handle and that are leaving an emotional impact on people because yeah. it must be terrifying, you know, and, and so upsetting when you have people in absolute financial distress on the phone and say, I just can't, you know, pay the bill, yeah. pay the mortgage, losing the house, you know, that, that puts obviously a lot of pressure on the employees. Do you get involved on in that side as well? Or is it more? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So that this is something that we're involved in both sides of that conversation. So not only how do we make it, you know, kind of uh, as emotionally kind of facilitated as you can for, for customers, but also, you know, how do we monitor the kinds of impacts that this might be having on the call handlers, the people who have to have these conversations? How can we, you know, how can we employ, um, behavioral science which is what i do to sort of you know manage the employee experience as well and manage employee well-being because you're right that's that's such a there's been such an uptick in that as being a problem you know we have lots of, of companies banks and otherwise that, that come to us now and say we're noticing higher levels of burnout you know in our yeah. employees because yeah. it's just become an emotionally much more difficult job for them throughout the sort of economic situation that we're in in the cost of living crisis 
so yeah, that's something we've turned our attention to as well. You know, how can we manage as much as fast as we can? How can we make this manageable for for employees as well? Yeah, I mean, it must be so rewarding because you're making a big impact with your expertise. And golly, I, I, you know, I'm not asking you what the future holds. I mean, I have no doubt, you know, you will go far. But I just wonder, Simon, you've obviously gone through that transition. And when I work with postdocs at the moment at Leeds, you know, we like you, you know, we have a lot of talented people, um, lots of options, but often a real reticence to try something else or make mm. that jump. And I totally understand mm. it is challenging. Um, mm. You know, that's why I love having people from Career Architect on the podcast because you've all done it, you know, and you've right. done it so beautifully and so well. Have you got any tips, Simon, for people who are in your shoes where you were four years ago and are maybe hesitating and think, mm, can I really do this? What what is, Can I cope with a different environment? Because that's often the big concern. Can I actually operate well in a different environment? And you were very open about the challenge you had in adapting to working in, in a commercial setting. Yeah, I, I you know I would say one of the the main things that the, the career architect course and what you helped me with with really was really understanding that although you you think of yourself as an academic at that point and that's the path that you've been you know treading, um, you're so much more than that really honestly you know um, and you know your expertise as somebody who can deliver you know very kind of detailed insights and research is valuable to most if not all companies really in all honesty. Um, lots of companies don't have people who come from, you know, so PhD level or, or, or even master's level backgrounds. So if you're at that level, you, you by default have an awful lot that you can offer to, to many different companies. So I would say, I think that the key, the first key barrier to overcome, if you find yourself in that situation and you're sort of thinking to yourself, I'm not sure if I want to continue down this academic career path. The first thing to figure out is, okay, um, you know, what is, if I was to distill who I think I am as an academic in terms of what my interest is into say one or two key topics, what would they be? Right. And that might on the surface sound like a little bit reductive, but it will just, that was what I did to begin with. And I, you know, tell myself I'm a financial psychologist and I'm a consumer decision-making psychologist. Okay. Um, and so from that, then I was able to start to look at, okay, well, what other organizations are there out there that kind of, I could put into those boxes. Um, and then from that, I was able to then kind of whittle it down further and further. So I would say the first thing to do is just get, try and kind of put yourself into sort of one to two boxes. And then from that, that will help orient where you can then look for other organizations that might be relevant to that kind of interest. From there, reach out to people at those organizations. Don't be scared, honestly. That's like, I think that's the big thing that also holds people back is like, go and look who look at who works for those for the companies, reach out to them, just send them a note, you know, and say, hey, look, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Uh, could we have a quick conversation? I'd really love to know about what it's like, you know, where you work and how I might become involved. You might be surprised, you know, what happened to me with, with Behavioral Insights team is I actually, I reached out to somebody there um, and I brought them to Leeds. So I was able to bring them to Leeds to deliver a seminar. Um, and then, you know, I'm still friends with that person now. And that was, you know, that was a large part of the reason that helped convince me that I could possibly go and work at that organization. So yeah, don't be afraid to reach out, I think, as well. That's a really good tip because I always say to people, you might be the solution that everyone has been looking for, you know, because it's, you know, and that might be hard to believe, but I'm absolutely convinced and I've seen it hundreds of times over the years, you know, as as a PhD postdoc, you offer so much. It's 
your expertise, but it's also, you know, the analytical thinking, the problem solving, you know, the communication, there's so many things. And also, you know, you're all learners and we need people who learn because the world is changing. I'm not going down the route and ask, you know, about AI and, and what you do. Um, that could be an hour long conversation easily, but you know, the world is not standing still and we need people who can adapt and who can think and who can come up with solutions. And if anyone is destined for that, it really is researchers because that's been their training all throughout their careers, hasn't it? Yeah, and also, I mean, I think to sort of to really relay off that point as well. Look, organizations, companies are made up of such a mixture of different people, and I think uh, recruiters and people who recruit for companies are savvy to this as well. And more often than not, nobody wants a company where it's just all the one kind of person. That's not going to work, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, like Carrie, where I work, for instance, you know, we have such a we really genuinely do have a diverse range of people with different kinds of mindsets and abilities. And the point is, is that finding the right mixture of people. So in my team, for instance, I might be one of the slightly more detail-oriented kind of research-focused people. Um, But then we've got other people on the team who are much more design-oriented and much more kind of creative-oriented. So, you know, bringing that kind of melange of people together then makes for overall more productive teams, I would say. So that's another thing to bear in mind. You you might be thinking of yourself as being, oh, I'm not sure I would necessarily fit in in that company. If it's a company that is aligned with what you do, then... And you are, and you're good, and you can demonstrate that. Then they will find out how to make it work for you. Is what I would say. Absolutely, and we've had several cases where people went in for interview, and then through the conversations, it emerged that actually there might be a different role, much better for them. And they discuss right. it there, you know, because I think, you know, organizations need talent. We still have, you know, le- you know, we've got such a labor market shortage, and you know, who wants to turn down highly intelligent, talented, and you know, engaged people? You know, so Simon, it's such a pleasure. And um, in between when we worked together last, and now I have been to Belfast and um, your home. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. And I must say, I loved it. (laughs) I will be back. So there you go. Um, Simon, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm so glad we're still connected on LinkedIn because I just see your meteoric rise into the future so um, I'm, I'm i'm keeping my eyes on you so, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> all the really very best and again it's been so lovely to catch up with you and all the best simon likewise thank you so much Ruth. thanks for listening to the research culture uncovered podcast please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes and if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.